Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Please enjoy today's message. Well, glory to God. This is uh, Spirit, Soul, and Body, Part 3. We're going to talk about training your senses. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the soul in our last session, but in this session, we're going to shift focus to the body. Having said that, we'll still be talking about the soul because as we're going to find out how we handle the desires and impulses of the body and what happens to our body depends to a large extent on the health and the disposition of our soul. Amen? If you remember, we spent a lot of time in session one talking about the triune nature of man, how that God was a triune being and he made man in his own image also a triune being. God is Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. Man was created spirit, soul, and body. Amen? We talked about how that when we got born again, that part of us, our spirit man, became perfect, righteous, and holy. Amen? We talked about how that you became a new creation in Christ. Old things were passed away, and all things became new. And all things are of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Amen. And we became the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Amen. So God began the redemption of man by redeeming the core of His being, His Spirit. We became born again by the Spirit of God. So it makes sense to me that if we're going to have the spirit of man affect the rest of our triune being, our soul and our body, we're going to have to start listening to communication from the Father God. Amen? And one thing I found out in the Scriptures is that when God communicates to man, primarily he communicates spirit to spirit. Amen. Let's read some Scripture. Psalm 42, verse 7 says, Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now, I believe this is an Old Testament type of the deepest part of the heart of man in contact with the deepest part of the heart of God. And it's likened to geysers of water, billows and waves. In fact, if you study it out, when Jonah was in the heart of the whale, he quoted and he prayed this verse almost verbatim. The deepest part of Jonah's heart cried out to the deepest part of God's heart, and they communed in a special way. And I think it's also an Old Testament type of praying in the Holy Ghost. When you hear about praying the Holy Ghost, you think about moving water, rivers of living water, right? But it connotes, it speaks of speech. Water is used many times to paint a picture of of divine communication between God and man. Amen. So, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, this is Jesus, uh, he is speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Let me start over. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Amen. Verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is a form of communication with the Father. Would you not agree? God desires to communicate with his true worshipers spirit to spirit, heart 
to heart. Amen. So if God is going to communicate to you, if he's going to illuminate you on the inside, it's going to begin with your spirit. Proverbs twenty twenty seven, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. I think it's a little more clear in the New King James. It says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So get the picture. Your spirit is like a lamp. And if God is going to illuminate you on the inside, he's going to do it by way of your spirit. Amen. It's not that God can't speak to our our mind and cannot be felt in our body, but primarily he's going to go spirit to spirit to communicate to man. Amen. If we're going to receive true spiritual illumination, it's going to come by way of our spirit man. Psalm 18, verse 28 and 29. This is David's psalm. He wrote this psalm after he was delivered from the hand of Saul, after he became the rightful king of Israel. He said, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Amen. You see, if we're going to receive spiritual illumination, if we're going to receive light in the darkness, it's going to come spirit to spirit. If we're going to receive strength to do things like run through an armed group of men and leap over a wall, and I believe he's talking about a wall that you couldn't leap over in your own strength. If we're going to receive illumination and strength, it's going to come to you spirit to spirit. Amen. Glory to God. Now, during the time that David and his men were living in exile in the land of the Philistines, King Saul sought to find and slay David because he knew that the prophet Samuel had already anointed him to be his replacement. And he was filled with rage and jealousy. And he began to send out bands of men in search of David. On two occasions, David and his band of 600 men were able to evade and escape King Saul as he tracked them down with a troop of 3,000 men. Now, how many know 3,000 versus 600 is not great odds? (laughs) Hallelujah. On both occasions that I'm referring to, you can read about them in 1 Chronicles 23 and also 1 Chronicles 26. In both cases... David was able to get close enough to Saul that he could have struck him down quickly and quietly and nobody would have been the wiser. And when Saul lay vulnerable asleep in a cave on both occasions, it just so happened that David and his men had been hiding in those caves. And so when Saul came in to rest, he came within striking distance of David and his men. And his closest advisors advise him, why don't you go ahead and kill Saul? God has delivered him into your hands. One stroke of the sword, take his own spear if you need to, and plunge him to the ground, and all of your troubles will be over, and you will be the rightful king of Israel. Each of these stories found in 1 Chronicles 23 and 26 illustrate vividly a process of reasoning 
and emotional turmoil that David had to work through as he wrestled internally with what to do. Surely as he stood over the sleeping King Saul, his heart began to race. His blood pressure started to rise. But his anger was quickly replaced by a sorrow in his heart that his former master had fallen so low and given himself over to such evil and murderous impulses. But in spite of all that he was experiencing physically and emotionally in his body and his soul and the conflict that was raging in his heart, the sensory input which David allowed to take precedent over all others was the word of God. And the word of God said, touch not mine anointed, neither do my prophets any harm. Why do you think that is? Well, if you read Psalm chapter 119, and it's a wonderful psalm, it's 176 verses, it's the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God, and it was written by King David. So I know from that that King David was a man of the Word of God. In Psalm 119 verse 97, David said, Oh, how I love your law or your word. It is my meditation all the day. So we know from the scriptures and we know from what he wrote in the scriptures that David meditated on the word of God. And the reason he meditated on the word of God is he was in love with the word of God. And the reason he heard that scripture in his mind at that critical moment in his life was because he meditated on that scripture before. I guarantee you when he was on the run in the land of the Philistines and Saul was after him constantly trying to track him down and kill him. He had to constantly meditate on the word of the Lord because his warrior impulse was to kill the one that was chasing after him. Amen. And the reason he didn't give way to those bodily and soulish impulses was because the word of God was fresh in his heart and mind. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will not do him any harm. On both occasions. And because he chose to honor God's word over all other impulses, his integrity was rewarded. And you know the rest of the story. He eventually leaped over the wall that was King Saul and became the rightful king of Israel. So we must learn to heed God's word before any other sensory input. Hebrews chapter 5 Verse 12 through 14. For when for the time we ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter says, Desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. But there comes a time in the life of a believer when you need to progress from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, we all started out as babes in Christ, right? But God did not intend for us to stay babes in Christ. We got to grow. We got to progress. We got to go from babyhood to growing up to be strong men and women of God. Verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses 
exercised to discern both good and evil. Did you hear that? In other words, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is it's possible to get to the point where you're so full of the word in your triune being that you can actually train your senses to discern good and evil, what is of God and what is not of God. And when I say senses, I break them into two primary groups, soulish senses and physical senses. Soulish senses I define like this, and I've got it up here for you. Soulish senses are how your soul perceives truth. Your mental faculties of judgment and perception, reasoning, emotional and intellectual responses to certain stimuli. If I sound like a scientist, I'm sorry, guilty as charged. Y'all know my background in science and engineering. Physical senses. How your body perceives truth. Five physical senses that we hear about all the time. See, hear, taste, touch, and smell which inform us about our environment. They bring us pleasure and produce pain as a warning to protect us from harm. And what do you mean by that, Brother Scott? Well, you put your hand over a hot stove, and what happens? You immediately retract it because pain is warning you that if you go further, you're going to get burnt, you're going to get hurt. So it's not that the five physical senses are evil in and of themselves because God gave us five physical senses to be able to operate in a natural environment without getting killed, without hurting ourselves, right? Okay. But if those senses, your physical senses and your soulish senses, how you feel. I know God's word says, you know, uh, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But, you know, I feel like such a dirty sinner. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. The sensory input you need to be paying attention to is what the Word of God says. And so the whole point I'm getting to here is I'm using David as an example of all the sensory inputs that were coming at him at a critical point in his life. The one that he chose to pay heed to was the Word of God, and it changed his life and delivered him out of an impossible situation. Amen. We need to do the same thing. Believers who live solely by the dictates of five physical senses or by their own mental reasoning will never reach the potential that God has destined for them. Why? Because there's a whole realm out there, the spirit realm, that cannot be detected by the five physical senses, by the rational mind. Or your perception, your intellectual thought processes. There are things that are beyond all of that, that if we're not walking in the Spirit, we're never going to experience. And trust me, we need to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, if we're ever going to be the people that God called us to be. If we're ever going to do the things that God called us to do. If we're ever going to reach the people that God called us to reach, we're going to have to learn to walk in that realm which is beyond our emotional and mental reasoning. It is beyond our five physical senses. It is another dimensional realm. You know, I'm going to go science on you for just a few minutes, but, you know, most scientists uh, talk about the natural world in four dimensions. You've got height, width, depth, and then you have time. That's the fourth dimension. And everything in this natural world can be described by those 
four dimensions. But how many know there's another dimensional reality out there that is the realm of the spirit? So I call it fifth dimensional thinking. You got to go to the fifth dimension and beyond if you're going to understand that next realm. Amen? There's a realm that goes beyond your mental senses and your physical senses. You have to develop what some people call a sixth sense. And I believe the sixth sense is the ability to see things through the eye of faith. And if you cannot see things through the eye of faith, again, I say, you will not become the person God called you to become. You will not do the things he called you to do, nor will you reach the people he called you to reach. Because if you can't see it, you can't be it. The ability to see the unseen realm is the essence of faith. And you can't even please God. Hebrews eleven six says you can't even please God apart from faith. You've got to be able to dwell in that multi-dimensional realm beyond the four dimensions of space-time here in the natural. You've got to be able to live there if you're going to please God. I know it sounds like a huge challenge because, you know, we live in the natural world. You know, we see, hear, taste, touch, smell. We have emotions that are very powerful. And all of these sensory inputs are trying to block us from hearing what God is saying to our spirit. Amen. You got to resist that impulse and you got to learn to walk in the spirit and say, you know what? I feel these things. I touch these things. I experience them bodily and in my soul. But one thing trumps them all. That is the word of the living God. Thy word, O Lord, is settled forever in heaven. It's already been settled. You might as well cooperate with it. Romans 4.17, talking about seeing things through the eye of faith. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Let's read it in the New King James Version. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Amen. That's what we're talking about. Seeing things through the eye of faith and calling those things that be not as though they were. That's got to be the watchword of your life. That's got to be the way you live. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 4.17 and Hebrews 11.1, they have one thing in common. They're talking about things that are in an unseen realm. We got to see it and we got to call it into being by faith. Amen. If we're going to please God. Hebrews 11.6. Glory to God. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 through 7. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It means it's warfare. It's warfare against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Amen. So, We got to decide whether we're going to be ruled by the flesh, what our soul and body are telling us is true, or what God says is true. 
It's just that simple. And, you know, we talked about spirit, soul, and body, and the soul being the middleman. If you can get the soul, your mind, your will, your emotions to team up with the spirit, the body will follow the will of the spirit and soul when they're in unity, Psalm 86, 11. But if you choose to link your soul up with the desires of the body, all of its impulses, which are not always godly, how many know that? The soul and the body will drag that spirit man somewhere he does not want to go. The soul is the middleman. He is so important. I like uh, the way that Joyce Meyer put it in her book, which is a classic, The Battlefield of the Mind. It's right here between your two ears. That's where it all happens. That's where battles are won and battles are lost. Amen. We must walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. There's a lot of scripture here, but it's so good. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Let me stop right there. That's a big word, you know. If you study it out, it means the pursuit of lustful, fleshly things. Uh, and usually we associate that with sexual sin. But if you look at the root word there that's translated lasciviousness, it really means anything that pertains to the five physical senses. If you give priority to that over all other sensory input, that's lasciviousness. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envians, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Kind of scary, isn't it? But you know what? If you're born again, your nature is changed. Your nature does not do those things, nor does it desire to do those things. So this is not talking about you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words... It's saying you're alive in your spirit. So with that knowledge, you might as well walk in the spirit because that's who you are on the inside. You know, we talked about how we got to put on the new man. The scripture in three places talks about put off the old man and put on the new. The new man is the one that's been created. Ephesians 4, 24 in true righteousness and holiness, just like God, you put him on and the old man, which really has been done away with. And there's just a remnant of that type of thinking in your soul and your body because your soul and your body haven't been trained yet to match what's on the inside. Okay? Until they are, they're going to give you trouble from time to time. This is meat and potatoes. This is not hooping and hollering type teaching and preaching. This is, this is where you live, the nitty-gritty, where the rubber meets the road. You know, these are things you got to know because this is how you live. This is how you live. Listen to me. This is important. 
1 Corinthians 9, 27 in the New King James Version. Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, what that says to me is, I'm not going to preach to somebody to live a certain way if I'm not living that certain way myself. Because then I'm a fraud. I'm asking you to do something that I am not currently doing myself. I mean, true leaders do not do that. True leaders don't ask their people to do anything that they're not already doing or walking in. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We talked about, if you're born again, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself lives on the inside of you, and you are in unity with Jesus. You're just like Him. So to put on the new man is to put on Jesus Christ because they're one and the same. Jesus lives on the inside of you in total unity with your new man. And remember we talked about new man means mankind, male man and female man. Amen? So we're talking about you ladies too, okay? If you will put on Jesus Christ, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I did a teaching years ago to prisoners out at Fort Wade Correctional Prison in Keithville, Louisiana. And basically, the gist of the teaching was, if you have a sin problem, fall in love with Jesus. If you will just fall in love with Jesus, get in touch with the man on the inside. The more you fall for him, the more you follow after him and desire to be with him and spend time in his presence, the less and less you'll want to sin and do anything to hurt him. I'm in relationship with my wife. And she, is, she is my wife, my She's my, my beloved, and, and, and there's no words to describe how, how close I feel to her. I can tell you, I would never do anything on purpose to hurt her in any way. It just grieves my heart to think of doing something that would really hurt her. It should be the same way if you fall in love with Jesus and learn to put him on. You don't want to do anything to disappoint him or hurt him. Isn't that right? I, and I'm... You know, I'm going to go ahead and share this. And this happened 20 years ago, back when I was still flying for the Air Force Reserve and we were stationed in uh, Bossier City, Louisiana at Barksdale Air Force Base. I got an invitation to fly an A-10 down to Corpus Christi for an air show. And Corpus Christi was an area where we had been stationed with the Marines in the 80s. And so I jumped on it because it was a chance to go back and see some of our old church friends that were still there. And so I flew an A-10, which is a single-seat fighter jet. I flew it down there and did what's called a static display. Have you ever been to an air show? A static display is all the airplanes they have lined up just for show, and the pilots stand out in front and talk about, talk about the airplane. And so when I got there and I bedded down the aircraft the night before the air show, I was so hungry. I went and I got me a room in the BOQ, and then I went across the street to um, the officer's club. And I went to the bar, only because they served hamburgers, and got me a hamburger and some fries. And uh, a young lady came up and sat next to me and started eating my fries. I thought, what, what are you doing? She said, those look so delicious, you know. And uh, as it turned out, it was a prelude to a come on that I was totally not expecting. Now, I'd been, you know, flying all day. And I was kind of, I thought I was kind of frumpy looking, you know, I had my 
flight suit on, his hair was all messed up and stuff. And she came and she just laid it on me. You know, she skipped the small talk and went to, okay, this is what I'm proposing. And I told her, I said, I, I have a ring on my finger. I'm a married man. She'll never know. I'll go with you to your room. I'll spend the night with you. Just say the word. And uh, the first thing I remember seeing mentally when this woman came on to me was I saw my little daughter, Marcy. I saw a single tear streaming down her eye. And I heard her say, how could you, Daddy? And then I thought about my wife, how it would affect her. And on the inside, I said, there is no way I'm going with this woman anywhere. So I told her, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Only I went to the bathroom, and I went out the back door, and I ran to my BOQ room. (laughs) Scripture says, flee fornication, you know. (laughs) Flee adultery, and I did it, literally, you know. I ran. I didn't want to hear from her anymore. (laughs) My point is, I didn't want to disappoint the one that I was one with, my wife. In like manner, you should think about what you do and whether it'll disappoint the one you are truly one with in a greater way, and that is Jesus. How would it hurt him? How would it affect him? And I tell you what, if you you approach it with that mindset— It'll curb sin right out of your life right quick because you don't want to do anything to hurt your heavenly father or your big brother, Jesus. Amen. Somebody out there needed to hear that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. I'm going to end with this. One of the ways we can walk in the spirit and turn away from the impulses and sensual desires of the flesh is to pray in the spirit. You thought you're going to get through spirit, soul and body without Brother Scott talking about praying in the spirit. Well, it's just not going to happen. Amen. One of the ways you can turn away from fleshly impulses is to pray in tongues as often as you can, as long as you can. Jude chapter 20, verse 17 through 21. We'll wrap it up with this. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, those of us that are tongue talkers, we always remember Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost or praying in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we forget the context from which that scripture was lifted. So I've just got a few verses in here to give you a flavor of it. You need to read the whole book of Jude to see what I'm talking about. But the whole first half of Jude is talking about men who are governed by the lust of the flesh. It consumes them, and it's all they pursue is the desires of the flesh. And he makes a contrast here. He says, but you, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. In other words, The way out of that lifestyle or one of the ways that will help you is to pray in the Holy Spirit as often as you can because when those impulses come your way, what better way than to just turn on the Spirit of God? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 
13 says, when I pray in the Holy Ghost, my spirit prays. Amen? So when you're battling with the flesh, what better way to deal with it than to turn directly to the spirit? I'm going to let my spirit pray. I'm going to put on Jesus Christ and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That old man was nailed to the cross and there he's going to stay. I was raised in righteousness and life in Christ Jesus. And that's the way I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk in the spirit. But also keep reading. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You got somebody that you're having trouble walking in love with? Spend some time praying in the Holy Ghost about that person. Let the Lord give you a supernatural love for that person. You know, I know some of you got people in your life and man, you want to shun die right now <laughs> because they are giving you big time problems. My point is, One of the things you can do, and we'll continue this next week. One of the things you can do to walk in the spirit is to pray in the Holy Ghost as much as you can, whenever you can. Okay, it's not the only thing you can do, but it's a very powerful tool that you can use to walk in the spirit. Because after all, a lot of times when people throw that out there, you need to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Most of the time I hear preachers preach that or teach that I don't hear them explaining. Well, what do you mean? By walking in the Spirit. What do you mean practically? What can I do practically to walk in the Spirit? Well, one of the things you can do is pray in tongues. Amen? Hallelujah. And I prayed in tongues after that episode with that young lady. And I had to battle all those words that she planted in my mind. I was able finally to push them out. And I did. I called my wife and I told her. Truth in, what do you call that? Full disclosure. (laughs) She's like, I'm coming down there right now. I, I can be there in 10 hours. You know, you know. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> oh, boy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Y'all, please don't think about me differently now after I told you that story. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Next week, we'll wrap it up by talking about how we can maintain a healthy body by maintaining a healthy soul. All right. Father God, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that it reached fertile soil today, that it produces a harvest in each heart of each person that's in this room. And we thank you, Father God, as we progress on to the rest of this series, we will learn to live spirit soul, and body dedicated to you and victorious in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pay heed to my word. Pay heed. Pay heed. Take heed. Yes. Take heed. For I have brought the best of my food to you. That this will strengthen you. That's as ambassadors on this earth. This is the meal from heaven that is fed to you. Take heed to this. It is not just Scott speaking. It's my spirit through him 
teaching you. Take heed, I say. I am the Lord. Take heed. Take heed. Take heed. For I have spoken through him. And I set this as a seal and as a confirmation that I have done this. I am the Lamb of God. And I love you. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Mm-hmm.